We give our first impressions of the redesigned 2020 Subaru Outback. We answer questions about first-year reliability. And what do you do about dealer markups when you're trying to buy a popular car? Next on Talking Cars. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Mike Quincy. I'm Keith Barry. And I'm Jake Fisher. We are so excited this week to talk about the redesigned 2020 Subaru Outback. This is the car that has really grabbed a lot of people's attention. Uh, we were able to rent two models from Subaru. We have a premium model powered by the 2.5 liter four-cylinder engine, as well as a top-of-the-line Tourney XT, which gets the turbocharged 2.4 liter that's out of the Subaru Ascent. Uh, this is a car that uh, a lot of consumer reports, readers, uh, members, subscribers, all the above really follow. So Jake, uh, tell us, what are your first impressions? First impression of the car? Well, I mean, it's, it's incrementally better kind of in most every way. I mean, this is a car that, car, wagon, SUV, I mean, first of all, we were just talking about it before. I mean, it's kind of like a uh, best in its class, but yeah. class what, of, but what is it? Now, right. class of kind of one, right. right? I mean, it's it's kind of this unique <laughs> offering, and that's why people are kind of very excited about it, you know, because it's kind of a wagon, kind of an SUV, but lower, um, and it's always been a really great option for people. Hmm. Um, I mean, what do they do to it? Well, it's. I mean, they did a lot, actually. I mean, it's on the new platform. So there's this new platform that they launched with the Impreza, and then the Ascent is on it. Um, the Forester is now on it, and now they're kind of going through the product line. So the Outback will be on in the Legacy very soon, too. And this new platform is kind of a little bit better tied down. Mm -hmm. So it, it, the ride is still very nice. The handling is a bit better. It's a bit roomier. Um, they also changed the uh, the infotainment screen, so now it's like a mm. really really big screen. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's where thing. it kind of goes into the weeds a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, I think the, the cool thing about this about Subaru is that they can take a car and totally change everything, and it feels just like it's 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 barely different. It's like renovating your kitchen and putting in all new everything, but it's the same exact countertops and appliances. It's just new, you know. Well, the Forester was like this too. I mean, like I had the, our and new Forester and the old one, their, yeah. they look the same. Sure. I mean, you but have... there, there is one thing which is different, and there's this, there's this yeah. giant screen in the middle. Yeah. Um, Tesla-esque. It's, I mean, it's Volvo-esque. Honestly, I'm going to go, I'm gonna yeah. go that far. It does have, the nice thing is it does have actual buttons for climate control. The not nice Some. thing is that, it, yeah, is that it, it divides up the screen in ways that I don't necessarily think are, are useful. Um, so for instance, if you use CarPlay or Android Auto with it, um, it puts CarPlay or Android Auto in this tiny little screen in the middle of the screen. It's like a picture-in-picture -picture TV, mm -hmm. but yet you have like an angle of attack <laughs> don't, don't sensor. Don't forget to set your VCR. Uh, yeah, up <laughs> top picture, that has like that shows you you're at you know negative two degrees on the road, and it's the size that you can actually see it from across the you know across the highway. Right. And that sort of mix, it just feels like they didn't put a ton of effort see, into the screen. I, the I, big screen is fine if it's. If See, I don't know if I agree no? with you on this because right. here's the deal. Okay, my biggest problem, now we're, gonna, now we're getting like major first world problems here because we complain <laughs> about things like CarPlay that most of the market don't even have. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, my, one of my big problems with CarPlay is that I get CarPlay and then like, oh, I want to change like my FM radio station. Mm -hmm. I got to bounce out of it and do something else. I want to go change something to climb. I got to bounce out and do something else. What's nice is because they bisect the screen, I get my CarPlay car here, and then below it, I've got my climate, 
below, you know, in the middle, I've got, you know, what's playing on FM radio. I could change my FM radio station without bouncing out of my, like, ways that I'm using in CarPlay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a little weird. I mean, I got, like, my, sometimes I got my radio below CarPlay, my radio above CarPlay, and it's something else, too. But, I mean, I think by having multiple things, which is actually Volvo S, maybe mm-hmm. one of the few things I think are kind of cool about Volvo is they could do multiple things. Um, not that everything is great on the screen. I mean, no. there's certainly yeah. some opportunity for improvement, but bisecting it. But the weird thing about the CarPlay, again, getting right, you know, this episode is about CarPlay. Um, <laughs> it's, it is really tiny. And I think yeah, on my, like, iPhone Max or whatever, I think it's bigger if I just use yeah, my cell phone. Yeah, the screen mount. is actually bigger than, yeah. It's, I, I think they, they could do a, uh, I, I like the fact that it's, that it's divided up. And in fact, the, the new version. I won you over. Now it's good that it's. No, li- I like the fact it's divided up, but it's, it's pick, divided, it's sliced and diced too much. So the car really actually does have good handling. Yeah, we're not the ride. Yeah. It's pretty oh, quiet inside. Oh, you drove See, the car? Yeah, I just stayed in the parking lot. Yeah, me too. I was trying to get my, my Hall & Oates on there. <laughs> and I, if I can't get my tunes, I'm not going to... All right, all right. Yeah. Let, let me talk about... I'm going to yeah. be the worst pun ever. But let's talk about the 2020 eyesight. Because I, I heard, glasses, uh, I heard, I heard a pin drop somewhere, oh. but but the eyesight has changed, right? I mean, this is our driver assist stuff and whatever, yeah. and it has always been a good system that has you know the uh, you know automatic emergency braking and that's standard equipment and, and all these other things. But what they've done is they've added. They, fa- facial recognition. Well, they've got facial recognition, right. so, so they've got this driver monitoring camera, right. which. <sighs> Hello, Jake. Yeah. yeah, pretty much, right? I mean. So, so one thing has got that. Now, we've, we saw that before in the Forester. They had it in high-level Foresters. Um, I, drove, I, I drove a couple hundred miles with this thing. I mean, it's supposed to notify you when you're not looking at the road. Great idea. I'm, I'm all for that. I think driver monitoring and all that stuff, there's a big, lots of potential. But it, it, you know, every time I kind of like moved my head, but I'm still looking at the road, it was annoying me. I mean, I think most people are going to shut this off because it's not smart enough to right. really notice if I'm actually looking at the road or not. It, mm. it, I found it a little hyper. I would just, I would turn my head just to, to get my coffee cup, just for a second. But, and I said, keep your eyes in the road. I was like, but, but I'm, like, I'm not fine. I'm the here. Road. I'm, I'm, I'm paying like attention. Itching my face or something, and I'm like, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a little. I, answer, I, I, I think, think people are going to wind up turning it off. The other thing, yeah. which I'm not super happy about, is they seem to. Again, we're talking about Volvo. Again, yeah. they're copying like a pilot assist system, you know, the, these kind of like uh, these vehicle automation systems. Now it's got lane centering. It's so, so like lane keeping is like you go over the line and it goes beeps at you or it nudges you if, if something happens. Now it's got this thing where it's got a steering wheel, that a steering wheel button on the steering mm-hmm. wheel and the little thing mm-hmm. lights up and it kind of goes in the center of the lane, but sort of not and sort and, and annoys you. And it, it's I, not great. I don't know what it's for. I turned I all. I turned all. Me. I turned all that stuff off, and that was another downside of this screen: is you have to go through lots of menus and sub menus to turn it and off. And they don't even make now, sense. The, and, yeah. but, the, but the good, the good part is, is and I and I drove, I drove one all, all weekend. Is once you set it, you don't have to then reset it every time you. But right. it's a little car. different because so we're, so we're all so getting good. in these cars that other people have driven. And right. So you were the we're one playing around with them. Yeah. No, but, <laughs> well, but, not the first time, not the last. But I mean, time. in the menu, right? I mean, there's like there's driver assist stuff, and then there's like other all these different. It's menus really configurable. That, yeah. You can really get in there. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. We'll and, we'll put that video on. But um, the 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 weird, I don't know. I just. It's it's yeah it's yeah, it's I'm, not it's not ripe. I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to go so far as to say it's 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 as uh, as you were equating with Volvo. I still think the Volvo system is much worse. I, I would live with the Subaru system way before the Volvo there. one. I'm with you there. But uh, but 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 I do think like you say things stay off. I am kind of afraid for the system because there are is that annoyance. It's going to wind up like 
I don't like this system, I don't like that system. You shut all the stuff off and it stays mm -hmm. off and it's not gonna be there to help you when you need it. And, and you're gonna turn problem. off things that you don't in, maybe don't intend to turn off. Right. Because it's so configurable and everything is in slightly different menus yeah. that you're gonna, I just want it to stop beeping. Um, okay, so I shut off something that I couldn't, couldn't help see, me. I couldn't get it to stop beeping. Using mm. adaptive cruise control, and I went into the, I oh, went so, into so, the so, menu, so you know and that I is. now what that is is that, mm. that when you're in the adaptive cruise control, if a car it sees a car mm -hmm. and then stops seeing the car, it beeps. Right, and Hondas do this, too. but I don't, I don't, like, I don't like, need I see the that. Car. I don't need that I'm beeping, looking. and I why couldn't find out how to Kia turn does. it off. Some Kias do like, that as why well. Why do I yeah. have to like look down there and it telling me what I'm seeing, and then I'm distracted by it, and then it's just and then the camera tells you you're not looking at the road. So as we've gone on maybe ad nauseum about the screens and electronics, <laughs> stuff like that, really want to get a little bit into more about how it drives. So, so Keith, behind the wheel, what do you think of the redesigned Outback? So I, I got to say, I love that turbo. I think it's going to, I think it's going to attract a sort of customer who's looking for something as practical, but doesn't want to give up on fun. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun to drive, not just at high speeds. It's fun around town. It just feels like there's kind of like a, it feels like you got the wind at your back when you're driving it. This turbo is just, it's it's well sorted out. There's not a ton of lag. It's, it's I, I really like it in this particular car. In the, in the ascent, it needed to move a big car, but right. this, a lot, just a lot more so weight. nimble. Yeah, sure. I, I like it. I like right. it a lot. And and it's supposed to get better fuel economy than the six. Yeah. And that, so, and that is kind of the, the, the downside. If, if you were fans of the, the six cylinder uh, Subarus, these, the, those are going away now. Uh, and it's supplemented by this turbo 2.4. Uh, mm. But what about what about even just the basic 2.5? Um, I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's not quick, you know. And and it's um, you know, if you're used to the, if you're an Outback driver, you're not going to be surprised. But it's certainly not a, not a quick vehicle. But but I totally agree that turbo. I mean, you know, again, if you're a fan of the six, but I mean, the truth is, is that Subaru is really known for turbo fours a whole lot mm. more than it is about flat sixes. Sure. Um, and it it is really nice in this package. You mm -hmm. know, it it moves quickly. Um, you know, again, it feels a little more tied down in handling too. You get in a corner, and the thing feels a little more tied down, a little more steady. Um, it's it's a nice driving experience. And and again, all those things that people really like in Subarus. You know, the quiet. You know, they ride definitely really well. quiet. Mm -hmm. Subarus got ride worked out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it, and one of the things that we've always said about uh, about recent Subarus is you're getting all-wheel drive and you're getting decent fuel economy, and that's that's no mean feat. So we uh, we actually have a first drive of the Outback on ConsumerReports.org. Check it out, and we're going to be buying uh, one of our test models. Well, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Well, I'm so glad cars, I'm yeah. so glad you interrupted me because <laughs> what is going on in a Subaru uh, a, a sales room right now? So if you're looking for one of these 2020s, you might have to wait till the 2019s are off the lot because the 2019s are still selling so well that Subaru's kind of easing the 2020s into the market. They don't want to sandbag the sales of what's already out there. The good news is these 2019s are great cars. Yeah, yes. um, still still really good, especially if you're buying the base engine. I mean, I'd say if you're looking at the six, maybe wait for unless you just love the six for some reason, wait for the turbo. Yeah, but if you're right. just getting a, a sort of a, a base car, especially if you don't want that screen, you're not losing out. It's not like Subaru made a car that's light years ahead. I, I, right. I, I completely yep. agree. Yeah. I've given that advice to some people and they've actually purchased the, the 19 Outback mm -hmm. and they're super happy with it. Um, you know, it's, you know, again, you're you're gonna get a better deal on it because it's kind of, it's the one going out. They've mm -hmm. already released the other one. Um, 
Uh, your reliability is going to be better because they've kind of worked out all the bugs of, of this this chassis. Although a lot um, of things in the 2020 we've seen on, on other vehicles, though, right? That, that's right. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to, I mean, look, every time there's a redesign, there's going to be some kind of a hit in terms of reliability. But you're exactly right. So, I mean, I don't think for this vehicle, because there's so much in common with other vehicles, um, you know, again, we saw the 2.4 that's basically in the Ascent. Um, that chassis has been around for a little while and a bunch of different things. So probably a lot of the bugs are worked out. But... I think the the better bet, you know, for value mm. is actually the 19. And some of them, I mean, I was looking online, and they're they're marked down pretty pretty decently. It's you can get of, one marked down off MSRP, and you can get a decent deal on it. It's a so. lot of car for the money. Now you yeah. mentioned first year reliability, and I have a great prediction that maybe a question that we're going to get to later in this episode mm. might have to do with exactly that. You're scaring. Me. Which allows us to then <laughs> transition to the that next. That was the loudest segue ever. <laughs> I was trying to do that, you know, that, that Karnak, the, yeah. the Carson sure. thing. Yeah, the Outback exactly. bring you uh, exactly. uh, bird of paradise. I don't so, know. So, we're, so we're, go we're going to get to some possible reliability questions. But the first question that we have, and we love getting your questions, uh, talking cars at consumer. Sorry? Talking cars at iCloud.com. Uh, Super producer Dave Abrams hates it when I mess that up. But anyway, talking cars at iCloud.com. Keep them coming. Text questions, video questions. We love especially the video questions. And the first one we have is from Darnley from Yonkers, New York. I've heard of Yonkers. I've heard of that place. Roll it. Hey, Consumer Reports. You guys are doing a great job. I love it. I love it. I love it. Keep up the good work. I was looking at the Kia Telluride as my number one choice. And the problem was, there's an insane markup on these vehicles because they're so hard to get. And they're just not making enough of them. They can't seem to keep them in stock. Long story short, why do these dealerships have to do these crazy markups on these cars? Do you know anything about this? Have you heard about this? Let me know, thanks. So Keith, what, what advice do you have uh, for Darnley? I mean, what is going on with, with dealer markup? So first of all, good choice on the car, good choice on the Telluride. We're, we're converting a lot of people, I think, to the Telluride. Yeah, <laughs> Un unfortunately, I, I think, you know, it's car such a great value that it's, I think it's a little underpriced. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes when a car is new and it's hot and it's just hitting the market uh, and it's popular, uh, dealers do this thing where they add what's called a market value adjustment or a dealer markup. And it's it, sometimes you hear about it with like supercars or you hear about right. it about limited edition and, you know, $40,000 on the new Supra or something crazy like that. But it's also, I did some research and I found it happened with uh, the Chevy HHR, oh, the yeah. Saturn yeah. Sky, the Toyota Prius C. Um, I think you the know, first PT Cruisers also yeah, sure. were subject yeah. to that. And, and, it's, and it's crazy. It's something that just sort of happens. I think what's interesting is that I looked and this wasn't happening with the, key, with the Hyundai Palisade. Mm. And they're almost identical cars. And I think that speaks a little bit anecdotally. Kia dealers... Uh, there, there seems to be, this seems to be something that happens more often at Kia dealers. It was happening with the Stinger when that first mm -hmm. came out. And now they're putting two, $3,000 on the hood just to move the Stinger because it's a slow seller now hmm. that the sort of bloom is off the rose. Right. So uh, what I would do is I would cross shop with Palisade 
Mm-hmm. at a Hyundai mm. dealer, if you like the Telluride better, I'd go and say, hey, listen, I'm just going to shop at a dealer across the street and buy the similar car if you can't match the price. Don't ever pay this dealer this market value right. adjustment. It don't, right. don't do it. It's, um, there's actually online, I searched, there's actually a crowdsourced list on a, on a uh, Telluride uh, fan website of all the dealers that have tried to do this. And they tend to be mostly in California, um, Florida, Texas, but I guess there's one in New York. I mean, really, with, with so many good SUVs out there, people people have a choice. I mean, what kind of advice, what, what more would you, can you add that, that Keith is, is saying? Keith, smart guy. No, but I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, one, it's, it's very temporary. So, I mean, just kind of take a breath, wait mm-hmm. a month, it's probably gonna go away, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just because they're kind of new. Um, but, um, it is very interesting. I, I still think it's so fascinating to see an SUV like this, kind of a, a volume SUV mm. like this. I mean, you listed all these other cars, and we've seen it before. I mean, we go buy cars, we've been buying cars for a very long time, and, and sometimes we're being asked to, to pay extra for these cars, but they're usually slow volume specialty cars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it does say something about Kia that, you know, they got a hit on their hands if they think they could, they could charge extra for it. Wow. Great question. Keep them coming. Uh, It's going to move on to the next question we have. And this is from Ryan. And Ryan writes, I'm looking to replace my 2004 Suzuki Grand Vitara. And so far, I'm looking at the new Kia Soul. However, common sense tells me not to buy a first-year model due to reliability concerns. But it got me thinking, is there really going to be that much of a difference between the first year of the new model and the first batch of the second year? So... Uh, foreshadowing really coming into play here. Jake, what can you talk about first year reliability? <laughs> um, so first of all, I mean, because it's common sense, surprisingly it's not common sense to a lot of people. So I mean, this is a very correct uh, consumer here and, <laughs> and really knows that there is a difference when you redesign a vehicle. Um, what I can say is that, yeah, it does get better after the first year. I don't care what it is, they do get better. Now, the question is how bad are they on their first year? And there's a couple of things going on. One is you look at the manufacturer. So would I get a first year vehicle from a- uh, Jaguar Land Rover. A Jaguar Land <laughs> Yeah, probably not. Would I do it from a Toyota or a Honda? Well, yeah. maybe. But um, it gets a little deeper because how much is really new about that vehicle? And that vehicle, I mean, there's a lot of carryover parts on that. You look at the powertrains, a lot of carryover. So I wouldn't be that concerned about that particular car, mm-hmm. about a, a Kia Soul. Um, if it was something brand new, like we we're talking about the first year of, uh, you know, the, the Kia Stinger or something, where it's mm-hmm. a whole new kind of platform, I would right. be a little more worried. Right. Fun fact about the Suzuki Grand Vitara. At one point, it was, a, it was the official state presidential vehicle of Chile <laughs> because the president had one as her own car. She got elected and then she just, she just drove it. So you're in good company with your just in case. Trying to be tired if you ever want to get elected in. Just in case you needed a little Suzuki uh, trivia right there. Excellent. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for that question. Uh, Next up is Craig, who writes, "Love your podcast, and I've been a Consumer Report subscriber for many years. Recently, I've noticed some cars' horsepower ratings increases when using premium gas versus regular. Is this uptick in horsepower using premium?" only on specific new cars. So, uh, Keith, I'm going to hand this one over to you. Regular gas, premium gas? Yeah, you're going to see this more often now because a lot more cars are using turbo engines. And also, it, you know, horsepower is the sort of thing that is that you can really sell a car on on specs and you can advertise three more horsepower than, my, than the competition. And using premium 
premium fuel, it is possible to, you know, with engine controllers and uh, to, to kind of squeeze a little more horsepower out of especially modern engines. Mm -hmm. So, Jake, I think you can talk a little but, but we, more But we about, looked into this a number yeah. of years ago. Yeah, we looked into it and we actually did some tests and we actually looked at some of the cars that allow you to use both. So they actually recommend premium fuel to get the horsepower, um, but don't require it. And little known fact, you know, pro tip, don't use premium because in each one of the cases, there wasn't really any difference when we ran the regular fuel. Mm. Um, so the truth is, is when they spec out these engines, yeah, they can spec it around premium fuel. And if you use regular fuel, there may be some situations where you're not going to get that horsepower. But the truth is, is that you're probably going to get that horsepower anyway. Right. And this is it's just for the newer vehicles that have the two horsepower rates. But caution, make sure that, 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 that you note this. Do, do not be confused to think that you have a car and if you put premium in, you're going to get more power. Right, any you're car. You're not. Right, right. You're absolutely right. not. Yeah, but if there is a car where they set up a specific testing condition so they can get the highest horsepower rating possible, right. they've probably done that with, with they've premium They've probably fuel. done that, but you're probably going to get that same horsepower in your normal right. car. You're not going to notice. This is, this is a common question yeah. that we get. Uh, we've written uh, extensively about this. Uh, and basically, the takeaway is if your vehicle does not require premium, we wouldn't bother with it. But some vehicles will say premium required. And, and in that and case, that's, that's when you go with it. That's it. Excellent question. Next up is John from Fairlawn, New Jersey. Thanks for the great show. My wife and I have a 2017 Chrysler Pacifica. And while we love it, we have encountered some reliability issues. Mm. It's still under warranty, but can we expect to have more issues down the road as problems under warranty are our problems under warranty predictive of problems outside of warranty? Another great reliability question. And uh, so we sort of have one of the reliability gurus here. So uh, when, when, a, when a car starts, yeah, exactly. Oh, You're looking at the produ <laughs> So when, when a car starts, starts out a little problematic. Yeah, well, we, here, here's kind of, a, you know, again, a little known fact. I mean, when you look at our new car reliability, um, you know, the truth is, Brand new cars don't have a lot of problems. Right. I think we, we kind of all kind of know that, mm. right? And there's a lot of cars that we don't recommend because, you know, we're saying, well, we think it's going to be unreliable. And, but you look, at the, you look at the data and it's like, well, it only had a few problems. The reason what we're very harsh on these vehicles that have just a moderate amount of problems in their new year is because that's what it does. It predicts. It's all about predicting down the road. So if you're just going to own the car for six months or whatever, that's fine. But you know what? If the first year you kind of have a small chance of problems, so maybe you got like 8% chance or whatever, that balloons. We have so much data, so many years of data that shows the cars that have that moderate amount of problems, it grows. It's predictive of having many more problems down the road. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe time to think about trading it in before the warranty. Right. Warranties up. Well, there's but, that. But the one good thing is, is that they started up with love your podcast. I think people are starting to understand <laughs> that if you like flatter us first, we'll answer your questions. Video and flattery. Right. Are the ways and, to, yeah. yeah. And listen, you know, uh, John from Fairline would totally feel for you. I mean, that this, the Pacifica is a very nice van. It, it really is. A and, van. and it would yeah. be, uh, you know, super, super recommended by Consumer Reports if it, if it uh, unlocked the key to, to good reliability. Yeah. So good, good luck with that. Uh, last question we have is Hank from San Francisco. In your opinion, what is the best handling compact car in the market? I was thinking either the BMW 330, Volkswagen Golf GTI, 
or the Tesla Model 3. I really thought we could get through Wait, the podcast in, in, without talking about no. Tesla. He's in San Francisco. Is he trying to recreate the, the chase from Bullet? Oh, man. He didn't, he didn't, <laughs> mention, one for my he didn't mention the Charger for... or the Mustang. Well, it's, it's modern San Francisco. So you're going to get you know, so the So how Tesla. do they land? Best, best, the handling, exactly. best handling car. Maybe he lives on Lombard Street. We're going to gonna be starting with Steve McQueen here. So tell us, what do you what do you think is the, is the best handling car in this general category? So I, I think, I mean, it kind of depends on what, what you call a compact. Right. Because nowadays there are compact crossovers that handle well. And also there are compact cars like the GT86 BRZ, which are, they're compact, but they're certainly not in this sort of, I think he's sort of more talking about a luxury sport compact sedan. Well, yeah, look, look, at, yeah, look at his list. I mean, there's yeah. probably four, at least four doors. Uh, so, okay, well, okay, well, that's kind of, I, I mean, the BMW 2 Series? I really, really, really like how it handles. It feels okay. just a little more yeah. of the handles. I mean, it's, it sounds, you know, soul and visceral, but it, it really is. Uh, <laughs> so it, you can feels... save a little money by not doing a three series, but going with a two series. Yeah, and it, and it also just, it's a car that it feels connected. Mm-hmm. Um, it got a great road test score. Mm-hmm. It's it's not fussy. It's just uh, it's just a blast. It's kind of the last of uh, the last of its kind. Right. Yeah. So, so Jake, either from this list or something else in mind. Well, I like his two series. That's mm. that's nice. I, I'm just just to kind of throw something out to a little different is the uh, the Hyundai Veloster. Nice. Um, I mean. It, he, didn't, he didn't mention manual transmission, but that's that's a good choice. Well, it's a nice car for manual transmission, yeah. but, but I mean, it is it handles really really well, and and it's this you know I mean it used to be based off of kind of you know just mm-hmm. kind of their their cheap little car, but I mean this new one is kind of its own chassis, and it's. It's really impressive. Really flies under the radar. Really, yeah, it really flies under the radar. It flies under the radar. Yeah, it's a great GTI sort of, I mean, you think GTI, but right. that's sort of, yeah, right. that answers that same it's, question. It's not expensive right. at all. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was going to throw a little bit of curve, too. I'm going to the Kia Stinger. Uh, I, you get rear or all-wheel drive, a sweet turbo V6, uh, really good nimble handling, good steering feedback. I'm a huge fan. Uh, and, I again, I think this is a car that's mm-hmm. sort of underappreciated out there, but... Um, but, you know, I think a good choice, certainly in this category. Mm. Well, that's about going to do it for this episode. As always, check the show notes for more information on the vehicles and the topics that we talked about. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>